incarnation. Some years ago, when I lived in Canada, I was enjoying a vacation in Florida with the warmer weather during the winter. And I went to a local scuba diving shop and asked when they were next going out for a scuba dive. And they told me to be at the dive shop on such and such a day, which I did, I reported. And they were going out on a a boat to do some scuba diving and they informed me that two women would be on the boat getting their checkout scuba certification, a test in open water that they could be scuba divers safely. As we left the harbor and got out into the sea, maybe, I don't know, a mile or two, it was very rough, large white caps, but the dive master didn't turn the boat around. He said, we're going through with it. And as we were going out to the dive site and the boat was being tossed and pitched by these waves, the two ladies in particular were getting more and more nervous. There was all manner of certified divers on the boat who had got on it just like I did. And there was one lady, I found out she was from Minnesota, a certified diver, and there was one tank. Back then, buoyancy compensators were not built into scuba tanks very much, but this one had it. And she was filling the tank by pressing the button and taking air out of the tank and filling the buoyancy compensator. And she did that several times. And I remember thinking to myself, well, whoever wears that tank is going to have less air than everybody else because she messed around with the air. Well, it turns out the lady from Minnesota got that particular tank. And the dive master put us all into the sea with our vest blown up. We're bobbing like corks in a tempest in a tea kettle. And... Those of you who know scuba diving, you must dive with a buddy. It's the right thing to do. It's the legally binding thing to do. And so he gave me, of all people, the lady from Minnesota. (laughs) And so we're bobbing up and down with, I don't know, maybe eight or ten scuba divers, and the ladies that are getting certified are crying and, and not having a good time at all, scared. And so the dive master, when he saw this chaos, after about five minutes, he points to me. He says, you! Your new buddy is him. So, okay. So I, before I swim to him, I talked to the lady from Minnesota. And I said, did you hear that? I'm no longer your buddy. (laughs) You have to get another buddy from the dive master before you go diving. I did that because if anything goes wrong on a scuba dive, you are legally liable for the safety of your buddy. So I went over with my new buddy and we went down and had a good scuba dive and then we were almost out of air. And so he, he went like this, which was telling me he's almost out of air and I agreed I was almost out of air. So we came to the surface and I looked on the boat and everybody was on the boat except the lady from Minnesota. And the dive master frantically says to us, was she with you? No, sir. And then you could see the color drain out of his face. She was missing. She had to be out of air. So he said, the dive master said to me and my buddy, before we got into the boat, he said, strap on two new air tanks and go look for her. I thought, it's a big ocean. (laughs) But before we got our second tanks on, in the pitch of the boat, the dive master sees Miss Minnesota about a thousand yards off the stern of the boat. 
bobbing with her buoyancy compensator full. I've never seen a dive boat go that fast over to a woman on the surface. But the, the dive master went over there and he was furious. Because if she had drowned, it would be on him as well. He grabbed her by the stem of her, the valve stem of her uh, tank, and he pulled her out of the water with all of her weight belt, all that weight over the side of the boat, and he dropped her like she was a fish. And he said, demanded where her purse was, her dive card license. And he ripped it in two and threw both pieces overboard. Madam, you're never diving again if I have anything to say about it. I tell you that story because when the woman from Minnesota was missing, she needed an incarnation. She needed someone who was a certified scuba diver who could go down to underwater and find her and share air with her. Her dog couldn't have saved her. Her non-scuba diving husband couldn't have saved her. Her money couldn't have saved her. All that could have saved her had she been underwater was another scuba diver incarnate to take air to her. Mankind is just as reckless and just as rebellious and just as disobedient as the woman from Minnesota was on that dive boat that day. And what we had to have was an incarnate Savior. A Savior who would come to us by way of miracle, come with power to save, blood to cleanse, truth to embody. This message gives God glory for the miracle of the incarnation. In Hebrews 9 and verse 22, God's word says, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The incarnate savior qualified to save us from our sins had to be human, had to have blood, had to have innocent blood to atone for your sins and for mine. I have three stunning scripture passages that all deal with the miracle of Christ's incarnation to share with us in these moments. The first is Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Listen. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all, all their lifetime subject to bondage. The Lord Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, solved a theological problem, and it's this. God is spirit. God cannot die. God, prior to the incarnation, had no flesh and no blood. 
And prior to the incarnation, God was incapable of dying. It was that God the Son had to become incarnate man, the God-man, with flesh and blood so that God would become capable of physical death. Yes, God the Son had to become incarnate man with flesh and blood in order to be the lamb for sinners slain. The once for all blood sacrifice for sin to end all the other blood sacrifices for sin that preceded it in the Old Testament history of Israel. Jesus Christ was the culmination, the apex, the exclamation mark on all of the animal sacrifices that God prescribed for his nation Israel in the Old Testament. Hebrews 9, 26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. He puts away sin's penalty, power, and one day presence by the sacrifice, the self-sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And so, our first incarnation text, to reread it, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those through fear of death, were in all their lifetimes subject to bondage. The second incarnation passage is one that we should not find uh, unfamiliar because I have preached this passage in Philippians 2, 5 to 8 last week. But we revisit it, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, that says... Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not regard it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. To become man, God the Son had to self-empty. We talked about that last week. The Greek term is kenosis, the self-emptying of the Savior, to set aside some of his divine prerogatives, rights, and privileges temporarily while on earth. Not to cease to be God when on earth, but to empty himself of some, the use of some of his prerogatives and privileges and powers. This is incarnation. This is miracle. 
To become man, to say it again, God the Son had to voluntarily set aside certain divine rights and privileges and voluntarily not use certain divine powers. And so Christ's incarnation, such a chosen condescension, such an invited humiliation, such a loving accommodation, the creator in a cradle, the savior in straw, the king cuddled close by an earthly mother. The third and final incarnation passage to share is John chapter one, verse 14. And it reads, and the word, capital W, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Greek behind the translation dwelt among us and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek language here is that he pitched his tent among us. Think of that. The incarnation of God camping with us right in the middle of our messy campground. The incarnation caused the Son of God to endure all kinds of inconveniences and shortfalls, camping with us, as it were, for 33 years. Yes, camping with us, the Lord Jesus rubbed shoulders with all of our blemishes, all of our moods, all of our unkindnesses, all of our evil vileness. Camping with us, the Lord Jesus dealt with all of our idiosyncrasies, all of our quirks, all of our self-service, all of our exploitation of other humans. Camping with us, the Lord Jesus drank our campground water, heard our campfire stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Camping with us, the Lord Jesus helped with our campground illnesses and dangers. He raised our campground dead. He instructed us on how to get out of the campground safely back home. And the Son of God, incarnate, did all this because the Father sent him. The Father sent him as the perfect, the sinless, and the holy camper to camp in our campground. The Son of God incarnate did all this to shine God's brilliant light, glory, God's grace and truth into a jet black campgrounds which was full of sinful campers who were groping around in the dark until they died. And when they died, they became eternally separated from God. That was the campground. Desperate, dire, and doomed. 
the desperate and the dire and the doomed were graced with a savior, a sin solution, an actual salvation. Because and only because of the incarnation shining God's light into mankind's darkness. Basically, the incarnation is a mystery. Not a mystery in the normal biblical sense of a mystery. A mystery biblically is defined as something that was always in the mind, purpose, counsel, and plan of God that wasn't revealed revealed in the scriptures before it happened. This is not that kind of a mystery. When I say that the incarnation is a mystery, I mean it's a miracle. I mean it's something we can't get our brains around fully this side of heaven. In this Christmas word series in the virgin birth message, you recall that we said a virgin birth meant for a God-man And a God-man meant for a no-sin nature, and no-sin nature meant for no sin in Jesus. And such an incarnation we've also seen was Jesus being both the Son of God and the Son of Man. God who became an object lesson on God. So when Jesus would say in the Gospel of John, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you believed on me, you believed on the Father. If you've hated me, you've hated the Father, etc. Jesus Christ, because of the incarnation, became an object lesson on God. God personified. Now I want you to imagine that I'm holding the biggest diamond in this hand that you have ever seen. Sparkling, valuable, shiny. And I want to call this imaginary diamond the miracle of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And in the next few moments, I want to say some truth about this diamond of the incarnation because I'm going to be, as it were, rotating this imaginary diamond slowly so you and I see every facet of it, every side of it, every prism that it makes when light hits it. Ready? The incarnation as an imaginary diamond. The incarnation is God's work of God becoming man while remaining God. The incarnation is the welding together of divine nature with human nature, human nature less a sin nature. The incarnation, as you turn this diamond to admire it, is God becoming one of us, living with us, teaching us, healing us, redeeming us, saving us from sin and all of its ramifications, saving us from Satan, saving us from death, saving us from hell. This is the diamond of incarnation. Turn it some more. And you'll see that the diamond of incarnation is God taking on human form without ever sinning. The diamond, imaginary diamond of incarnation sparkles because it tells us about the first advent of Jesus Christ, knowing and we find out there's a second advent anticipated of Christ. This imaginary diamond we call the incarnation is the miraculous 
virgin birth of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This beautiful diamond called incarnation is Christmas, which leads to Good Friday, which leads to Resurrection Lord's Day. This diamond that we are examining called incarnation brings to reality later in life, about 12 years old, when Jesus went AWOL and his parents didn't know where he was and he was in the temple talking about his father in heaven and they were concerned and upset that he did that and he said, don't you know, I have to be about my father's business. And so you could look at the whole life and ministry and sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he was here on a business trip. That he was here to be about heaven's business on earth. And the incarnation diamond factors into that business trip in a very profound way. The diamond of incarnation talks about one who was rich yet for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. What a diamond. The diamond of incarnation, we turn it 360, we come around to the final aspect of it. Diamond of incarnation in all of its beauty and shiny value is Emmanuel, God with us. What a miracle and what a diamond. So we have been blessed with three incarnation passages. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, made himself, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, humbled himself, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. And then John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to close with five blessings that are ours because of the incarnation. Quickly, blessing one, The incarnation ushered in divine love so we can understand it. Blessing two of incarnation. The incarnation provided the fulfillment of Old Testament messianic prophecies. Dr. Charles Rari points out that by the law of chance, it would require 200 billion earths Populated with four billion people each, 
to come up with one person who could achieve a hundred accurate prophecies without any errors in sequence. But the Bible records not 100 of Christ, but over 300 prophecies. Yes, the incarnation provided the fulfillment of messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. Blessing three, the incarnation proved our God's gracious willingness to walk with us in a sin-tainted world. I don't know what you're walking with. I don't know what is frustrating you Christmas Eve 2023, what is tempting to overshadow the joy of your holiday celebrations. I don't know. I don't know the weight that you've been carrying. I don't know the problems you're trying to solve, but God does. And the incarnation is proof positive that God is graciously willing to walk with you in this sin-tainted world. Blessing four, the incarnation married the opposites of deity and humanity without contradiction of either. A miracle. Blessing five. The incarnation paved the way for Messiah's crucifixion and bodily resurrection. We of all people are most blessed to have an incarnate Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me as a congregation? It's time to pray. Dear God, we bow together in your presence in prayer to thank you for sending your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to planet Earth to effect the miracle of the incarnation. Lord, it means so much to us as we unpack the theological significance. Lord, as we are standing before you now in prayer, it could be that there are some who haven't responded to the love of incarnation yet, where this is all theory, this is all story, this is all tradition. Lord, if there be any in the sound of this prayer who have church but not Christ, I pray that this would be a time from their feet they could quietly pray something like this. God, you are holy and I am not. Thank you for sending Jesus with the expressed business of heaven, of dying on the cross in the place of sinners. Right now, in the best way I know how, I repent of sin, of self, and of Satan, to run in faith to the Savior, to cast my present time and my eternity on him to make me right with God. 
Lord, others of us are standing during this prayer and we know Christ as Savior. He's the one we are trusting. But some, Lord, standing may have taken him off the throne of our redeemed lives, replacing him with ourselves. Having self ruling us with Jesus kind of like a spare tire or a fire escape from hell. Lord, I pray for any brothers or sisters who are convicted by your spirit that they should get off the throne of their own lives because they make a lousy boss of their own lives to allow your, you, your rightful place. We would be yielded. We would be obedient. We would be worshipful. Lord, for those bowed in this prayer who definitely have Christ by way of the Holy Spirit on the throne of their redeemed lives, may it continue, Lord. It's as easy as falling off a log to get out of that state into carnality. So, Lord, may fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is Lord. He is Lord, he has risen from the dead, and he is Lord. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We, the redeemed, purpose to be bowing ahead of the rest. Ahead of those who will bow to Christ as judge at the great white throne judgment. We would bow to him now. Give us now, Lord, Christ-centered celebrations. The joy of the Lord is our strength and the burden of our hearts to share the way of salvation with precious people will meet this holiday season. May your blessing shower down on this wonderful church family, Lord. May we be greatly blessed so we will be faithful to pass along our blessings in Christ to others. May the fruit of the Spirit be on the branches of our redeemed lives so that they be fruit for the persons around us to be nourished by and to be refreshed by. And we ask these things, grateful for the incarnation, grateful for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated.